let's do this. Um, I want to show you, first and foremost, we'll show the prophecies last, but I want to show you, uh, uh, and those of you that are watching, I want to show you an idol, a statue that was down outside of Atlanta that uh, many are um, realizing had some inscriptions on it that were very New World Order, uh, depopulation. Pastor Doug, you know some of the other things that were on there. Did you want to make mention of it? Yeah, get a couple minutes, and we'll show you the, the picture. Now, this is in no way when I show you these prophecies, and those of you that are watching, because you do write things uh, in newspapers and magazines, I'm not saying go blow up statues and take them. I'm not saying that. I'm just sharing a prophetic word and letting people decide on what they think might have happened. Okay, so um, can you put up the, the, the statue? So this was the statue. This was called the Georgia Sto Guidestones. And they had inscriptions in several languages. Very quickly, Pastor Doug, what did yes. a few of them say? So let's just... I turn your microphone okay, on. Okay, there we go. Okay. Just let me give you five here that I think are really interesting. One of them was maintain humanity population under 500 million. We have over seven, almost eight billion people in the United States today. That would mean reducing our po current population by 94%. That's what they, and that's just one of the items. <laughs> Let me give you a couple others here. Um, guide reproduction wisely. Unite humanity with a living new language. Rule passion. Now, faith and tradition and all things should be tempered. Let's temper our faith, temper our passion. Don't get too excited about those things. Let all nations rule internally resolving external disputes in a world court. Does that sound like a new world order? Be not a cancer on the earth. Leave room for nature. Leave room for nature. You know, and does that sound like the new green? And hug a tree. So those are, those are just a few. You can research that, but that was built in 1980, and it's 237,000 pounds, six slabs of granite, 19 feet tall. I mean, this was a big monument. So I'll let you take it from okay, there, Pastor Okay, thank Angus. you, Pastor Doug. Now, here's what's interesting. So before we went to Atlanta... On July 1st, God said it'll be like an evening sacrifice where Elijah stood with a corporate people and we are going to call down God's hand and his fire to come. Amen. Wasn't insurrection, wasn't, uh, you know, a bloody war. We were just calling on God to come down to the, to the nation. And uh, that's why you need to come September, by the way, 15th for Flashpoint Live. We're going to have Michael and Dale. Uh, Eric Metaxas, we're going to have Dutch Sheets will be here also. It's going to be a great night. Plus our conference, and I'm calling on 7,000 of you that have not bowed the knee. So, and uh, we, uh, so register, you can go out to hankandbrenda.org. I'm telling you, what's going to happen when we have the corporate body come together here in Omaha, Nebraska, right in the middle. So I thought it was interesting when we were all corporately praying that night. How many remember that if you watched and those of you that watched? Uh, a few days later, that statue toppled. Now, I want you to see the pictures because here's the video footage of what they, they had all kinds of cameras there, but all of it is kind of fuzzy. 
and they kind of got a little bit of a glimpse of what they thought might be a silver car. And uh, a guy now in all black that was running, and there was an explosion. The, the thing that people are calling out is, well, if it was an explosion, why did it get hit from the top and then crumble? You know, if it was some bomb. Again, I'm not trying to be conspiracy. I'm just trying to present to you something. So show the first picture again. Notice the light off to the left. Can they show the first picture? Do they have the one? Okay, notice. What's that light? Now, on that day, there were lightning strikes, storms, wind, thunderstorms that moved through the area at the exact time. Can they show that map? Show the map where there was lightning all around right there. At the very hour, the very time that this thing got hit. Okay? Now go back. You see what's that light. And then now you see it crumbling. And whenever you see lightning hit something, see the color purple. You go out and study lightning strikes and you will always see the color purple that the lightning or the infusion of the energy produces. There's a video a guy put out why he's convinced that it was lightning. It's very, very convincing. And uh, so keep showing it. So there it is. And keep showing the pictures very quickly. And I'm going to put up the prophecies. And explodes. Okay, what's this going, what's going on? What, what is this, what's, what's happening? All right, let's put up the first prophecy. Oh, there should be a last one? Okay, um, show, I'm sorry, we're, we're confusing them. So show it completely toppled. That's a, look at that. Okay, okay, so there you go. Now, God said this is about his reset. Didn't he say that? God's been telling us a long time that stuff is coming and that nobody's going to stand in front of him. So now let's go back and look at what God said would happen to a statue. Is it connected? I'll let you decide. I'm just throwing this out here because this is this is pretty interesting stuff. All right. Go ahead. If they put the first one up. So this was um, this was from uh, April 25th. Watch for the lightning strike that shall bring fire. Did you see fire? strange fire and wind that blows. Now keep in mind something. When it comes to prophecy, I've been walking with God now since 1984, but I've been walking in the prophetic uh, grace for a long time. And, I, and I've learned with God that there are things that sometimes you think, okay, there's going to be a literal lightning strike. But to God, the scripture says that one of the ways that God judges is he scatters them with lightning bolts. You can read that in the book of uh, Psalms. Another way that God judges is through fire. Another way that God judges is the scripture that declares that God gathers the winds in his fists and he. So this is not just necessarily literal because you might say, well, I believe it was a bomb or I believe somebody blew it. That's fine. But God is saying, I'm going to bring my judgment. Okay, now keep reading that will topple the statue. What statue? I will show the earth that the enemy's agenda. Was the enemy's agenda written on that statue? As Satan fell from heaven like lightning, so shall his what? <laughs> we should be rejoicing. We just went to Georgia and had thousands of people praying corporately with me. When we called down the hand of God in his fire. And three days later, this thing that had... The enemy's agenda written on it falls, and God says a year before, watch a statue. 
Fire shall be a sign as I stood, my presence, as the Phil- as Philistines put my glory, my presence next to the statue Dagon. It fell. His limbs were cut off. What happened to that thing? It got cut off. Look for the sign of the wind and the toppling that shall follow. And then God tells you why all this is going to happen. What does a nation look like filled with glory? You're about to see it. Now, look at the next one. This one, this one is even. So then two weeks later, two weeks later, for whatever reason, the Lord decides to prophesy about it again. I remember that day. I'm like, what are you talking about? I always do that with God. What are you talking about? I have conversations with him when, he's, when it's coming out of my mouth. And I have conversations with him later. I'm like, what are you talking about? So anyway, but it's better that you don't know what he's talking about so you don't get in your head. But watch what begins to take place. There'll be a strange, strange sight that shall come from the movement of my hand that shall be demonstrated by my wind. For when the wind blows, they will say, what is this that has toppled? What is this that has fallen over? We did not think that this, and it shall be a statue. And they will ask, how is it that this statue could topple? How is it that this thing could fall over? There you go. And so if uh, you're the authorities that we haven't been able to trust, um, I will trust that word over that. (laughs) Okay, let's go to Acts chapter 2. Pretty interesting, isn't it? I don't think it's, how many think it's a coincidence? How many think there could be a connection? (laughs) Okay. I love one of the greatest prophecies that the Lord gave is when all this stuff, uh, was, was getting ready to happen with the stolen election and all that. God, God was already preparing us. He said, I am going to be a positive irritant in their hinder parts. Remember that? You remember that prophecy? And, and the Lord is. He's been uh, amazing. All right, I want to talk to you today about breaking open the fountain of your deep. We talked about that last week. I want to go back into it again. And I want to just show you some things because I want to bring up Acts chapter 2. This is our text. And those of you that are watching and also in chapel... This is an interesting scripture in the sense that before Pentecost Sunday, I was praying and the Lord spoke the scripture to me and he asked me a question. He said, Hank, what do you think the state of the individual Christian, but the state of the church? And he's talking about his people. What would be the state of these? What would be the state of the nation? What would be the state of politics? What would be the state of the earth if people would be filled with the Holy Spirit and just speak in tongues. That's number one. What would happen? Those that already speak in tongues would just increase the level of praying in tongues. What would happen if we would all come together and pray in tongues? What would be the state of things? What kind of things could we change? Amen. What would be the spiritual level of the church? Because I'm telling you, when you pray in tongues, it will bring you over into a solid life in the Spirit. It'll help you to walk in the Spirit. It'll help you to hear in the Spirit. It'll help you to live in the Spirit. But look at what it says in Acts 2, verse 4. And, they all, and it says, and when they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So that's our text. I want you to see where it says they all were filled. Now, we've been talking about the benefits of praying in tongues. And one of the things that we talked about is it builds you up. And if you're taking notes uh, or if you're new to this, you could find that in the book of Jude, verse 20, where it says you build yourself up. It's like doing bench press by praying in the Holy Ghost. So if you want to get stronger spiritually, the more you pray in tongues, the more you're doing spiritual reps, 
that will bring a real strong spiritual walk. The other thing we talked about is that when you pray in tongues, it keeps you from uh, unbelief. Because when you're praying in tongues, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 2 says that when you pray in tongues or speak in tongues, you are speaking to God. And it's your spirit that prays, even though you don't understand, others may not understand, unless God gives the gift of interpretation, you don't know what is being said. So one of the greatest ways to stay out of unbelief, because I've listened to people pray, and they want me to agree with their prayers, but it's so full of unbelief. And God is not moved by unbelief, He's moved by faith. And so uh, if you want to pray prayers that hit the target every time, say, Lord, I'm praying over this situation, because Romans 8.26 says we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit maketh intercession with groanings that cannot be uttered. There's times where I say over this building, Lord, I don't know how to pray about that, so I just start praying in tongues. Amen? And so you can actually pray prayers that don't have unbelief. They get answers because they hit the target. Uh, another thing that happens when you pray in tongues, John 16, Jesus said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He is the Spirit of truth. And so every time you pray in tongues, you are coming out of the narratives and the lies of the media and this culture, and, and you're connecting to the spirit of truth, and it'll help write you. You'll be able to walk throughout your day. You'll be able to walk through this journey as God is resetting and turning things around, and many more victories are coming. In fact, I'm hearing a word that I just, I have to wait on the timing. It might be Wednesday when we have prayer. We were going to do a prophetic pulse, but uh, I just need some time to pull some more things together, and I've had a lot of interruptions in my schedule, so we're going to just pray and prophesy on Wednesday and all that. But it's very important that when you pray in tongues, you connect to the spirit of truth. You get the right perspective. We talk about how praying in tongues is a spiritual weapon. And that's what I want to bring ourselves to. Look at Judges 7. We talked about this last week. I want you to begin in verse 1. And I want you to look because Judges chapter 7 was about Gideon. It was about God coming down to a man named Gideon and said, look, Gideon, the enemy is great and the enemy has outnumbered you and they're about to take over your whole nation. So Gideon, I want you to take out of 32,000 men, I want you to test the men at the water. And out of those 32,000 tested at the water, I want those, watch this, that are going to bring water up with the cup of their hand to their mouth and use their tongue to lap it and drink it like a dog while they keep their eyes on the enemy. That's the basis of what happened. So in Judges chapter 7, verse 1, you can kind of see what happened. God brings them down. Uh, they pitched by the well of Herod. There was a host of the Midianites. That was the enemy. Look at verse 2. I'll paraphrase it for the sake of time. The Lord said, Gideon, hey, the people are too many for me to save, uh, you know, Israel. And I don't want you all taking credit for it anyway. So verse 3, paraphrasing it, he said, all right, those who are afraid and fearful, he said, let them, let them return. Well, there was 32,000 of the army. And 22,000 of them, the majority of the 32,000, 22,000 of them were afraid and they left. Sounds a whole lot like people today. They don't want to get involved and discuss, you know, the truth when people bring their wokeism. They don't want to speak up about traditional marriage. Rather than rejoicing with uh, Roe versus Wade and little babies now being protected, you know, 
you know, and it does come down to the states. We realize that. But listen, it's a, it's a great victory for, uh, as, as Proverbs 31 says, you know, God is looking for those that will stand up and be the voice of those that cannot speak for themselves. And so I, I, listened, to, I listened to an absolute uh, preacher this last week that were going on and ranting about how they sided with Maxine Waters um, and how if we're all about pro-life, then why uh, do we still have the death penalty? And uh, if it's pro-life, why do we still have an opioid problem? And I'm like, dude, you just said that you side with Maxine Waters. Okay, they're all about legalizing marijuana. They're all about, right? And, and I don't think the death penalty is the same as the pro-life stance for the innocent who hasn't committed any crime, done any drugs, did anything immoral. It's a life. It's a baby preacher. That's what you need to understand about pro-life. So 32,000, 22,000 left, 10,000 now remain. And God says in verse 4, he says, all right, the people are yet too many, man. There's 10,000, but still too many. He said that for me to deliver, he said, uh, it it can't be. So he says, verse 5, I'm going to test you. I'm going to test you. I'm going to, and verse 4, you could see it. He said, I'm going to bring you down to the water. Now, why did he bring him down to the water? Now, I want you to understand that water is in Scripture. Oftentimes people say, well, it's symbolic of the Word of God. But the the water also in Scripture can be symbolic of the Holy Spirit. People often don't say that. They always try to say, well, you know, you wash your wives. In Ephesians 5, it says you wash your wives by the watering of the Word. So the Word word and water, water is always symbolic of the Word. Well, it, it can be, but it's also symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Because Jesus said in John 7, verse 37, how be it out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And then it goes on and says, how be it? He was talking about the Holy Spirit who had not yet been given. So Jesus was comparing rivers coming out of your belly like rivers of living water. He said, that's the Holy Spirit. Hasn't yet been given. John 4, he sits with the woman at the well talks about the, 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 the water that he gives, which was the water of salvation or the Holy Spirit that comes at the time that you say, Jesus, come into my heart. It becomes the well, your, your, your spirit becomes the well of salvation. So I want to show you that this testing of the water was not just the testing of the word of God. It was a prophetic, again, you got to look at Old Testament scriptures and bring them over into the New Testament and say, okay, how does this relate prophetically to today or a principle? And so God brought them down to the water. Yeah, he tested them with the word of God, you could say, but he tested them to see what will you do when it comes to my Holy Spirit. Now, you know why I believe it was a prophetic shadowing of The water being a place of testing for the Holy Spirit, because what was the test about? Tongues. Verse 5, he brought him down unto the water, a type of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord said unto Gideon, everyone that laps the water, a testing of a type of the Holy Spirit with his what? Tongues. In other words, like God said to me before Pentecost, what would be the state 
of the believer, of the church, of the nation, of politics, so on and so forth, if people prayed in tongues. We're in a test. Pastor, what's the test? I think it's twofold. Number one, it's the test of what are you speaking? Proverbs 18.21 says that death and life are in the power of your tongue. Are you speaking death over America? Are you speaking damnation over America? Are you giving so much credit to these, quote, uh, uh, attempted elitists? Are you giving credit to the lying media? Are you giving credit to the fake administration by the words of your mouth and the agreement that you are giving it? You are being tested. I'm telling you, there are ministers today. There are ministries today. This is why I'm not all worked up. I'm not all jacked up. I, I, I have pastors that have come at me. Believe me, they've come at me. They've written. They've petitioned. They've done crazy stuff. And I said to them, let's see where the dust settles. And now they don't know what to do because the very prophecies that they criticize and, and that they never prophesied, they're starting to see are coming to pass. And that means, oops, if those came to pass, there might be some other ones over here that could be coming to pass too. Which I'm going to show you a prophecy from 2005 on the prophetic perspective where God said, I gave you a sign. I'll see if you get this. I'm not going to tell you yet. In, in the documented 2005 prophecy, God says, I gave you America a sign in the 2000 election of a 5-4 decision. Okay? I gave you a sign. What was the sign? 2000 was about who is the rightful president. God said in 2005, I gave you a sign of the 2000 election of a 5-4 sub." Supreme Court decision. Then he goes on, and so it shall be concerning the massacre in the womb. I will overturn it 5-4. That is a documented 2005 prophecy. Now, there's a connection between a Supreme Court decision and an election. And Roe versus Wade in the prophecy. Hmm. We just had a 5-4 decision with Roe versus Wade. And we still have an undisputed election. So what are you speaking? What are you talking? The second thing is, how are you using your tongues? Are you praying in tongues? How often are you? Are you doing it? Are you resisting it? Are you making excuses? So there's a test of the water of the Holy Spirit right now. What are you doing with the Holy Spirit? What are you doing with this baptism? Are you going to believe some preacher that told you that it's of the devil? When Jesus said it's a promise of the Father? Are you going to resist it because you're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13, one verse where it says that tongues will cease and so will prophecy? But you better also put in that same verse, the knowledge will pass away and quit going to school. Quit trying to get on the internet to learn from Dr. Google, Google because knowledge has disappeared. Are you going to resist speaking in tongues because you've made a mistake and thought that the baptism of the Holy Spirit given to all who accept Jesus Christ is the same as 1 Corinthians 12, the gift of tongues? It isn't. The gift of tongues is where God speaks a message in tongues that requires 1 Corinthians 12, another gift called the gift of interpretation. It is not the same as we all in prayer at the same time speak in tongues unto God. So what are you doing with your tongues? How are you talking in the natural? How are you talking in the spirit or are you? 
So this is the test. And I'm telling you, like I said, it's why I said the whole election thing. People right now that are not talking right, they didn't talk right, they didn't stand with what God said prophetically, are not going to be the voices and the faces of this new era. They, are, they still will be around, but they're not going to be the predominant ones that are going to carry the kind of anointing that it's going to take to bring our country and the church into what God has. Now, you say, well, Pastor Hank, what was the significance? Let's go back to Judges 7, because I want you to see just how this was a testing of, uh, of how they used the Holy Spirit, specifically the baptism or tongues. It says, and the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were 300 men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees. Now, notice how many people. 300 out of 10,000, so 9,700 had their face in the water, and they were disqualified. That's where a lot of people are. I don't want to talk about homosexuality. I don't want to talk about transgender. I don't want to talk about dragging kids to a drag show. Now, I'm not talking about drag racing. I'm not going to talk about the election. I'm not going to talk about it. I refuse. I'm not going to talk about America. I'm not going to talk, oh, oh, especially I'm not going to go to a church where they talk politics. Wow. I heard somebody say recently, and their excuse was, is they said, well, no pre they're a preacher. No preacher should be talking about politics behind their, their pulpit because history will show you that ultimately God will have his way and step in. And you know what my answer is? That's true. In the days of Noah, did God, when there was wickedness in the culture, every man's thought was upon evil, did God ultimately, to that person's point, step in? Yes, but they forgot something. The Bible says in Genesis 6 that the earth was so corrupt, so evil. But then there's this verse that says, but God found Noah. God always has his way, but God always looks for a man. And the Bible says in the book of Peter calls Noah, watch this, in a corrupt, woke culture to the max, homosexuality, transgender, who knows what kind of government they had. Here's a guy hammering for 120 years and people are persecuting him. Luke 17, Jesus says, as Noah was persecuted, so shall the son of man be. And yet he kept pounding away and the Bible calls Noah in 1 Peter, are you ready? Calls him a preacher of righteousness. Didn't call him a man of righteousness, a preacher of righteousness. So what was that preacher doing? Oh, what does the ark represent in the Old Testament? Y'all here? It represents the church. And what was he? Not just a man of He was a preacher of righteousness building the church. Hello, preacher. Are you building the kingdom of God? If you are, you are required then, preacher, to be a preacher of righteousness. Like Noah, you keep hammering and hammering and hammering, speaking out against the culture, against that which is wrong, that which is immoral, that which is evil, that which is false. Yes, even to the place of God. Government. That's what I want God to say. I found Hank. I found Wally Cleaver. 
Now, why 300? Why 300? Why did God choose 300? Look at Judges 15, 4. 300, and how was that connected to praying in tongues? Remember, they had to lap with their tongue. If this is a type of praying in tongues, why 300 that prayed in tongues? Because 300 in the Bible speaks in every example of something that is connected to spiritual victory. So every time you with your tongue, Oh, I'm just going to go a little stronger. There's a spiritual victory connected to it. Well, why would you not want to pray in tongues? If you know every time you open your mouth, man, you are tapping into spiritual victory. Amen. Praise God. All right, look at the first one. Judges 15, verses 4 and 5. Keep in mind, 300 men, 300 connected to spiritual victory because they knew how to use their tongue and they didn't hold back. And Samson went and caught how many foxes? 300. See, I never could be Samson because I only caught one fox. And so... Honey, you ought to be winking up at me right now. <laughs> All right. Anyway, and so Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took firebrands, turned tail to tail, and put a firebrand. So put torches and set them, verse 5, in the middle of the Philistines' cornfields. I mean, that's a spiritual victory. Okay. First Chronicles 11, 11, look at David's army. And this is the number of the mighty men who David had. Joshua Beam, can you imagine being called Joshua Beam? Joshua Beam, it's dinner time. Joshua Beam, Joshua Beam, come Joshua Beam. <laughs> it's dinner time. Man, if you named Joshua Beam, I wouldn't come. I'd be like... Call me Steve. <laughs> anyway, so Jasho, oh, Jasho Beam or whatever his name is. And a, a Hashmonite. Wow. Those people are on drugs, man. They had hash. See, you got to know how to read your Bible. <laughs> okay. Uh, you all know I'm kidding, right? Don't write about me. I'm kidding. Okay, now watch. He lifted up his spear against how many? 300 at one time. So are you seeing the connection between 300 tongue guys of Gideon's army and spiritual victories? Now watch this. Look here at Mark 14. The water was a type of the Holy Spirit. Bring it over into the New Testament. I'm going to prove it to you. And tongues was a type of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spiritual victories that is released. Watch here. After two days, Mark 14, verse 1, the feast of the Passover and unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take Jesus by craft and put him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany, the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having... 
Watch this. An alabaster box of anointment, a spikenard, very, very precious. So what is that a type of? An alabaster box full of oil, perfume. What was that symbolic of? The Holy Spirit. And notice it was in a box. God was in a box in the Ark of the Covenant. Now where does God live when you invite him in? Your deep, your belly, Jesus said out of your belly, your box right here. And notice what she did with that box. She broke the box. What have I been teaching you the last two weeks? Break open, go to Genesis 7, verse 11. Jesus said, out, out, John 7, 37 through 39, out of your spirit, out of your box, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. In other words, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Look at uh, Genesis 7. We'll come back to Mark 14. In the 600 year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all. What happened on the day of Pentecost? They all spoke in tongues. Were all the great fountains of the deep what? Broken open. Now, what is that? That actually happened, but what does that prophetically point to? Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. You got to learn how to break open the fountain of your deep. Psalm 42, verse 7. God is described as the deep. He calls unto your deep. Okay, look, deep calls unto the deep. Well, where's your deep? In your box, in your belly, in your spirit. And you got to learn how to break it open. How do you break it open? Well, you pray in tongues. You let out that alabaster perfume. You let out that pure anointing. Right? Every time I told you Judges 7 was a test, would they... Pray in tongues, use their tongue right, so to speak, right? 300 of them, 300's connected to the fox's tails that pointed to victory. 300 that was killed at one time of David's mighty man. Now go back to Mark, Mark 14 and look here. In Mark 14, notice what it says, going back to verse 3, and being in Bethany... In the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of anointing, which is type of the anointing. She what? What did she do? She broke it open and spilled it out. What does Genesis 7 say? You break open the fountain of your deep. What did Jesus do on the first miracle? Took empty jars, which is you and I, we're empty without Jesus, and he filled it with what? Water, type of the Holy Spirit that fills your life in salvation. And then what does it immediately turn into? Another type of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, what did they say? These men are full of what? New wine. But again, it's the pulling out of the earthen vessel. It's the breaking open of the alabaster box. It's the breaking open of the deep. Jesus, John 7, out of your belly. Well, how do you do it? You break it open by praying. Now watch, keep reading. She broke it open and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation. 
and said, why did you waste your time praying in tongues? Why do you go to that tongue-talking church? Why do you believe that tongues is still of the day when it's of the devil? For it could have been sold for how much? 300. Notice 300 is connected to a spiritual victory. Jesus was going to be anointed for his burial, which would ultimately be a spiritual victory of his resurrection. Every time you pray in tongue. Are you getting this or am I just so like over your head? Okay. Now, let's go back to Judges 7. I don't think I'm going to have time to show you the pattern of the waters, but maybe we'll do that next week. And then Dutch Sheets comes. And I'm going to turn over to Brenda for about three months and then I'll just kind of take a break. I'm <laughs> just teasing you. All right. But now we'll go back to Judges 7 verse 5. So he brought him down to the water. And the Lord sent it to Gideon, everyone that laps with his tongue. And it was 300. Why 300? I showed you. It represents victory or breakthrough. Okay, what happened to the alabaster box? Sold for 300 pence. It was broken open. It's symbolic of breakthrough. Victories. How many get that? Now, let's prove it some more. Judges 7. If that water was a type of testing what are you going to do with the Holy Spirit? What are you going to do with the baptism? How are you going to use your tongue? Are you going to speak in tongues? You're going to pray in tongues? You're going to refuse? What are you going to do? You're going to be afraid of it? Say, oh, tongues isn't for me. Or are you going to be so busy in life, you know, just lapping up life, that you're going to still not use your tongues? Even though you're already filled. So now you go down to Judges 7. Look at verse 16 through 22. And he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand. Notice what he does. This is a type of the Holy Spirit. It's actually a type of Pentecost. He puts a trumpet in a man's hand, an empty pitcher or a clay jar pitcher, and lamps that go inside the pitchers. How many get it? Trumpet, clay pot with a lamp in it, fire. How many following me? Now let's keep going. And he said, look at me, and I want you to do as I do. I come outside the camp, it shall be, you do as I do. When I blow with the trumpet, and all that are with me blows like I do, I will blow the trumpet, and also on every side of the camp, I want you to say the sword of the Lord in Gideon. Ooh, what's attached to this? A spiritual victory. Spiritual fighting. Right? So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came out into the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch, and they had but newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets, broke the clay pitchers. Come on, what are we talking about? Breaking open the what? Fountain of your deep. Come on, let the anointing come out, that alabaster box. Let spiritual victories begin to flow. Right? Let breakthrough begin to come when you use your tongue right. So there's... Three things, verse 20, and the three companies blew the trumpets, broke the pitchers, and held the lamps of fire in their hands. And notice what happens. The host fled. Now, why, 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 why? What does this speak of? The breaking of, let me just say it to you this way. The breaking of the earthen jar, the trumpet and fires is prophetic for what I'm teaching you. Letting the flow of tongues come out. Okay. Why was it a trumpet? Look at Hosea chapter 8, verse 1. It says, set thy trumpet to your lips. 
Okay, if this was the water was a type of what are you going to do with the Holy Spirit? How are you going to use your tongues? You're going to be fearful of it and walk away from it. And every time there's an opportunity to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, you're out the door. You give another excuse, just like Gideon's, those guys. Or you're so busy lapping up the blessings of God, you are filled with the Spirit, but you're not using your tongues. Just like that 9,700. Or are you going to be the ones that God's looking at that are going to say, you know what, I'm going to use my tongue and I'm going to break open my clay jar that has what inside of it? Fire. What happened on the day of Pentecost? When the Holy Spirit came, fire settled on their heads. Okay. Have you ever used the phrase, I'm on fire for the Lord? Well, where's that fire? It's in you. It's shot up in your bones, Jeremiah said. Well, how do you get that fire? How do you get more on fire for God? How do you get fire upon the head of the enemy and get spiritual victories? By your tongues. Wait, but I am. But are you breaking it open just like they did? They put a trumpet to their mouth, broke open the pitcher and released the fire. When you put a trumpet to your mouth, just like Hosea 8, set thy trumpet to your mouth. When you make a decision that every time I open my mouth and speak in other tongues, it is a trumpet blast and an announcement in the spirit realm against the devil. When you do that, at the same time that you're blowing the trumpet or you're speaking in tongues, you are breaking open that earthen clay jar. Oh, who you are. Look at, look at Lamentations 4.2. The precious sons of Zion, Lamentations 4.2, comparable to fine gold, they are compared and esteemed as earthen pitchers. The work of the hands of God the potter. So the clay pot represents the real you, your spirit, your, your inner being. Genesis 7, they broke open the deep. John 7, Jesus said, out of your belly, out of your deep, out of your box. Mary comes in and breaks open an alabaster box and lets that beautiful anointing come out. Genesis 7, they're tested with water, type of the Holy Spirit. They're tested with, are you going to be afraid of tongues? Are you going to either be lapping up the blessing and you forget about praying in tongues? Or are you going to use your tongues right and break open your, the clay earthen vessel of you, your own spirit, and let the fire come out of it? That's the prophetic picture I get. When I study Gideon, but then I look at things different. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of thy power may be of God and not of us. The torches and the lamps was a type of Pentecost or the Holy Ghost. Pastor Doug, you can come. How many are you getting this? Yes. Now, next week, what I'll do is I will show you a prophetic pattern. Go back to Judges 7, look at verse 4. We're going to pick up from this verse next week. So I guess I am preaching, Brenda. Because I, I want to finish this, because I want to show you, I want to, here, here's what, I wrote a book that's coming out, I think at our conference, it's called The Supernatural Blood of Jesus. I wrote a little one, but I expanded it. Because I asked the Lord a question one day, I was just having a real intimate time with Him. And uh, I said, God, I got to ask you a question that perplexes me because it's so polarizing. 
And, and I'm going to ask you this question, and I really want you to answer me, not tomorrow. I want you to answer me now. Why are people so upset at what you said was the promise of the Father? And you said that God would give the precious Holy Spirit and the ability to speak to you in other tongues. Why do people... Why are they so divided? Why are they so angry? What is it about tongues that in, in, in Acts 8, God, that a sorcerer, when he heard him pray in tongues, he offered money for it. And yet your people treat it like it's nothing. And yet those that are our enemies recognize the power in it. And yet we never pray in it or we refuse to get filled with the Holy Ghost and pray in tongues. Yet a sorcerer had enough more sense than most church folk. And, and, and I said, God, what is it? He said, there's many things, but it's what tongues is a witness to. It's what every time when you pray in tongues, what you are reminding the enemy of. I said, what is it? He said, the blood. And, and I said, well, why is that? He said, on the day of Pentecost, the reason why fire showed up was every time that God approved of a blood sacrifice, he would answer by what? Fire. That's why Elijah did a blood sacrifice, 1 Kings 18, and what fell? Fire. What happened on Pentecost? Jesus just shed his blood weeks before. And God said, now let me show you. So every time you pray in tongues, you're, you are reminding the devil, that blood kicked your butt. That blood took away the keys of death, hell, and the grave. That blood. No wonder he wants you to think it's not powerful. Because there's spiritual victories attached to it, just like Judges 7. And so I wrote that book, and uh, I don't know what my point is. What's my point? Why are you praying tongues? So, okay. So, that, there you go. Okay. So, what I'm going to show you next week is this scripture right here. I want to show you, it's why I wrote that book on the blood. It's not just to show you the power of the blood and what it means when the scripture says that there's three that are in agreement in the earth. The spirit, the water, and the blood. And I talk about how that's how we have to live. But it's to testify of the Holy Spirit in speaking in tongues is really what my book will point to. But it shows you through the blood and why it's important. Now, I say that because in the same way, next week, I want to show you that that water, that test of water, fast forward to today, the test today is connected to your journey with the Holy Spirit. Pastor, how are you going to show us our journey with the Holy Spirit and why we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Because I'm going to show you a, a, a principle in Scripture that's called the law of first mention. And you understand what that means? When something is first mentioned, you need to pay attention to it. Slow down, look at it. I always ask questions. God, why is that the first time that water is mentioned? Okay, it's the first time it's mentioned, but it's also mentioned in a particular form. And that form, whether it be a river, whether it be rain, whether it be dew, that's the first mention of that type of water. And so I found that there were seven first mentions in Scripture of different types of water, being the Holy Spirit, that ultimately will show you your journey with the Holy Spirit and where he's trying to bring his church. Can we talk about that next week? So Judges 7, 
Verse 4 was the test of the water. There is a test on us today. We've been in a test. That's why churches closed down in the scandemic. Because they had more coffee than they had Holy Spirit. Stand to your feet. (laughs) Anyway, Pastor Doug, I'm done. I I could keep revelating and revolutioning and all that. And I just pray that you got it. Did you get it? Okay, okay. Can Can I just say something? If I pontificated and you didn't quite get my pontification, then I will try to do better next week and really break it down some more. So just stay with me. How many of you got it? Okay. All right, keep praying in tongues because you're going to break open your fountain. You're going to break open your alabaster box. You're going to break open your earthen vessel. And what are you going to release? Fire, spiritual victories, breakthrough. All right, let's go.